a un primero de mayo. <risa> Hello and welcome to the The Sam D Podcast. I am your host, Sam Duzame Jr. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube at The Sam D. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D. For all content, audio, and visual, hit up thesamd.com. Follow along with the podcast on social media at The Sam D Podcast. Musical production done by May 1st Music. Support him at soundcloud.com slash May 1st Music. So the streets are buzzing with the announcement of a new project. It's one that took me by surprise. It's one that, you know, got a lot of fanfare online. Uh, a lot of people hit the text. Say, yo, did you heard? And I'm like, word. Shit is crazy. And um, I honestly can't wait. I'm very, very excited about this new project. Like, it's rare in music nowadays with the uh, ADD of it all and the lack of replay value of it all that I get excited for new projects. So, yes, I am fully aware that this project is dropping. I cannot wait. I am locked in, haven't done the pre-order, but I'm here for it. And normally I'm the king of this downloading. Um, I am anti-streaming, so I don't stream shit. I download MP3s still. Um, I am king of the torrents, so I am on that shit heavy. But occasionally, if I really fuck with you, not only will I still download the torrent, I will then go still buy your album. So I cannot wait for this new project. Look, I haven't been kind to this person on this podcast over the years. Um, And even in general, I've spilled a lot of tea. I've kind of broken down how things, you know, are behind the scenes with this person. Kind of call things out that I feel are kind of problematic and kind of need to be put out there. But even I know, look, man, I got to let Sun cook. The pandemic's not really over, but we're allowing ourselves to believe the notion that it is. So we're outside. People are fully vaxxed. So we're allowing ourselves to believe we've turned a corner. So we need to be outside. And who better than to signal the return of people going outside to give us some heat, to give us that fire, to give us that energy, to give us that shot in the arm? Then Kawhi, the Boardman Project. I mean, son, I can't believe Kawhi about to flood the streets. Boardman is about to flood the streets and give us that new heat rock. I'm here for it. I can't believe Kawhi's going to A&R Project. I needs that yesterday. I need that Kawhi joint. I need it. Wait, who? Who I thought I was talking about. Mm, whatever. So, yeah, who's the better A&R? It's, I mean, look, we've talked about how Kawhi and LeBron low-key have this kind of... Uh, it's not a beef, but it's very much a competitive thing. LeBron 
because of who he is and the stature that he has, is just widely seen as the guy. And when he does something, it seems to be done to the highest of abilities, right? When he does his A&R music bag, it's, you know, two chains. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 being in that mode. A&R and creating the deluxe. I mean, not really creating, but I mean, you know. So Kawhi, bored man, is now in the mix. A&R and a rap project, a hip hop project, an album. And I'm here for it. I can't wait. There's no other project that's about to come out that I'm looking forward to more than the Boardman project. I think Kawhi might get Bron up out of here on the A&R tip. There's been a lot of talk about how if you really want to get to Boardman and you really want to hear him open up, don't ask him about basketball. Ask him about music. Ask him about rap. Ask him about hip hop. That's the way to get the board man to open up. Don't ask him about pin downs, curls, basketball strategy, how much film he watches, how big his hands are, how come he doesn't talk. Don't. That's not the way. The way to get to him is ask him who's the hottest in the game right now. And then all of a sudden, according to what people are saying, board man opens right up. So. If he's on that type of time, if he's still riding that Chevy Tahoe, riding down from San Diego to L.A. to Staples for home games, that's a lot of time to listen to music, bro. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a long-ass ride to keep listening to tunes all day, back and forth. So I'm here for the A&R Boardman Project. So the NFL draft happened, and the Bears did a thing. And the Bears did a thing that seemed competent. The Bears did a thing that seemed like change. The Bears did a thing that seemed like turning a corner. And while they did the thing that they should have done, while I co-sign the move and co-sign the price that they had to pay to do the thing, There's only one problem. The problem is that the same regime that paid a heftier price to move up one spot to take Mitchell Trubisky is now asking Bears fans, which I am not in that group. They're now asking that same group, well, trust us on this one as we move up to go get Justin Fields. And you've heard me talking on this podcast. You've heard some of the bonus content where I'm talking about my guy, Greg Larnard, and I was very high on Justin Fields, only from the sense of when it comes to QB analysis and QB breakdown, a lot of people can claim they know, but you really don't know how it translates at the next level. Andrew Luck was supposed to be the next God's gift to QBing, and I mean, he was nice, but I mean, you know, was he though? Was he God's gift? Can't miss, da 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 da. They're just gonna pass the keys from Peyton to Andrew Luck, and it's gonna keep right on roll. And eh, not really, not 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 really. So when it comes to QB analysis, I just go off, yo dog. 
Give me the dude that has the most tools. And hopefully he falls to a team that either has a good enough defense so that he can learn on the job and be able to squeak some wins out or falls to the team that has the most weapons to surround him with and see if he could sink or swim right away. And if you're the Bears and Justin Fields, do the Bears fit any of those molds? Is the defense that good enough to be able to hold teams to under 20 a game? So that Justin Fields, if and when he's given the keys in year one, can figure it out and squeak out some victories? No. No, they're not. Are the Bears the team? that has a plethora of weapons so that we can find out right away what Justin Fields can do with receivers, tight ends, running backs. I mean, dog, you've seen the Bears roster, right? <laughs> I mean, there was a reason why Allen Robinson was trying to get out of there. There was a reason why he was trying to get the get up out of there and had to accept the franchise side to come back. I mean, Tariq Cohen's cool. He's a scat back. Let's be clear. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's, it's not, there's not a lot there. There's not a lot there. So, yes, the Bears did the thing they were supposed to do. Yes, moving up to go get a QB and like Justin Fields goes against everything the Bears have done historically. Right? Yes, if you look at that division, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Who knows what's going to be the outcome there? The Lions with Jared Goff. We know that's a stopgap. And the Vikings have Kirk Cousins. So, this could be a thing of four years from now. It could be Jordan Love and Justin Fields deciding who's the top dog in the NFC North. The problem is that this buys time for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy to stay on the job. And they've done nothing, absolutely nothing, to merit having their careers extended with the Chicago Bears. Matt Nagy was supposed to be this offensive play caller from the Andy Reid tree that was supposed to be Shanahan, Cal Shanahan-esque. Have you seen any of that in Chicago? Have you seen any of that innovation? The only innovation they've had is realizing, oh shit, Tariq Cohen's kind of uncoverable. And they've tried to turn him into a bootleg Tariq Hill. And it hasn't really happened. Hasn't really worked. Because he's a scat back. <laughs> so, you know, it's, 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 it's shaky. It's shaky. And Ryan Pace, who did the deal for Trubisky, which he should not have done, and then doubled down on the deal by then trading even more draft capital for Khalil Mack, which was a win-now move when you had a QB that was not ready to win now. I mean, all of that I did on Trash Narratives, which is on YouTube. I'll put a link in the podcast description. You can check that Trash Narratives if you haven't. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, by the way. Pushing more content to that soon. So you had a GM who moved up to go get a QB he should not have taken. Then based off of that and the wherewithal and the faith he had in that QB that he moved up to take that he should not have taken, 
goes and trade for a ready-made defensive stalwart superstar in the moment because he wanted to capitalize on that young QB on a rookie contract window. But the problem was is that he didn't hit on the QB. So therefore, you traded for a defensive stud and paid him crazy bread for a win-now move when your team was nowhere close to winning. And yes, you could give me the one playoff run with the double doink where they had one of the easiest schedules in the league and da da da. You can give me all of that. That's cool. That's cool. But that was one year. One year. So, no, Bears fans should not be rejoicing. I actually feel sorry for Justin Fields. I feel sorry for the fact that he's being settled with a regime that's been clueless for the entirety of his tenure. I feel sorry for Justin Fields. I hope he hangs on long enough that when eventually Pace and Nagy are out of there, that he's then able to show what he can actually do. It's going to take a regime change. It's going to take a philosophy change for the Chicago Bears to truly take advantage of them doing the obvious and moving up and trading for a franchise QB, a potential franchise QB. And I mentioned Aaron Rodgers, and I won't go too in-depth on this. I mean, we, we've reached, he's reached an impasse. There's a lot of snitching going on. Someone is snitching in the in the Packers group chat. There's a lot of snitching going on. So, and I, I did say I would holler at my boy, Greg Larnard, uh, to talk Aaron Rodgers because he's a huge Packer fan. Um, and he's locked in on that. He knows people in that whole deal over there in Wisconsin. Uh, so what I'll do is I'm going to put up the conversation I had with him yesterday where we spent about a good half an hour, half an hour going in on the Aaron Rodgers thing and the many different layers of it and, you know, all of that stuff. So th- that'll be the bonus content. And I am firmly entrenched at the new crib. Wi-Fi is up and running, all this stuff. So I can, like, actually do stuff. I can actually do the stuff that I say I'm going to do. There was a lot of things in flux over the last really month and change as I was preparing to move and dealing with all the stuff behind the scenes that involved with that. But you will get the conversation I have with Greg Larner. That was a real in-depth conversation about Aaron Rodgers. He gave his view as a person that's in the media game that has sources. And then as well, just overall outside of all of that, a Packer fan and how he feels about it. So that'll be the bonus content. So you'll get this pod. And then in a few hours after that, I will release the uh, conversation I have with Greg Larner. But for my two cents worth on it, look, this is QB empowerment. This is QB empowerment. What Russell Wilson was was able to do with what, you know, Deshaun Watson was trying to, to, to do before all these cases came out. Now Aaron Rodgers is trying to do the same thing. NFL quarterbacks are the only ones that have power. NFL quarterbacks are the only ones that can actually try to move and facilitate like NBA players do. Because even though their contracts aren't guaranteed like NBA players, they still get the most guaranteed money per position. So they have the most power because that money is coming no matter what to a higher percentage than any other position in the NFL. So they have the most leeway to kind of get that off. The problem is this. While Aaron Rodgers, while quarterbacks are trying to force their way out, 
you're still just a dude. And as long as the football mentality is that you're just a dude, it really doesn't matter who you are. Like Brett Favre. And you know, you know, I give two shits about Brett Favre, but he came out and he was trying to give some bail and trying to give some words to, you know, Aaron Rodgers, like, hey, man, be careful. You might not want to move this way. You might not want to force your exit out this way. And he was basically, to paraphrase, trying to act like he might be remorseful based off how he exited. And if you don't know how he exited, he was in the same situation. Star QB, I don't know if he was MVP level when he initially requested requested a trade, but of that caliber, right? So imagine you're Brett Favre, you're, you're still at a near MVP level. You have this young QB who's been laying in wait to take your job. So you decide, you know what? It's time for me to go. I can go. I can get up out of here. So you go to management and you let them know. All right. I want out. Right. So that happens. Management does what they have to do. They start scouring the league. What can they get for Brett Favre? What's the best situation that works for them? And it came down to, from management's perspective, the Jets and an NFC team. I don't recall who that NFC team was off top, uh, but Google is your friend. That story is, is widely available. It came down to the Jets and another team, right? And they went to Brett Favre and said, yo, these are the deals we got on the table where we can get you up out of here that we co-sign. These deals are good enough. There's the Jets deal. Or the NFC team deal. Which one do you want? And Brett, thinking he had player empowerment, chose the NFC team deal. Said, okay, that's where I want to go. You know what the Packers front office did? They sent his ass to the Jets. Because <laughs> even then, it's fuck you, bro. We don't care about you because it's football. And this is the football culture, and you're taught to believe that type of rhetoric when you're a child, so you're brainwashed. Yeah, fuck you, bro. We're going to sing it to the Jets. You can go show your gray-haired dick to reporters. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of how that went. So, you know, I don't know if Brett Favre is saying, yo, bro, don't trust it. I don't know if he's on that P.E. Chuck D. Well, I mean, we know he's not listening to P.E. and Chuck D. if you've heard recent comments. But just saying, in terms of he's trying to tell... So Aaron Rod, yo, yo, dog, don't trust it. Even if they try to trade you, don't trust it. Don't trust it. I gave them a Super Bowl too. I gave them MVP seasons too, and they shipped my ass to the Jets. <laughs> so I, I don't know if he's trying to say, yo, bro, you might not get what you want in the end. You may get out, but you name, you may not get what you want in the end. So player empowerment in the NFL is just a facade, right? And that leads us to Juwan James. Broncos offensive lineman tears his ACL at the crib because he's working out at the crib and not at the facility. And now the Broncos are being like a business and like, yo, bro, you're not getting paid. You're not getting paid. You're going to fuck up our salary cap. So no, 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 no. You got hurt at the crib, not at the gig. So we're going to get you up out of here and uh, don't look for no checks. And there's a clip up on my Instagram, on my IG, at the SamD. That's T-H-E-E-S-A-M-D, in case you didn't catch it in the intro. Uh, yeah, look for that. 
I posted that. It was part of the same conversation I had with Greg Larner. Um, yeah, Juwan James, man. It, th- this is the NFL is is in trouble. NFL players are in trouble. The problem is that the head of their union, and if you've become a loyal listener of this podcast, you know where I'm going, but I don't know how many times I have to say it. Demora Smith has sabotaged the players. He's the head of their union. As much as I don't like the point fraud in the NBA, and as much as I think he's done things to the detriment of the players in the NBA, Demora Smith has really cannibalized the efforts of any type of player empowerment in the NFL. He has genuinely and truly done that. It's remarkable that this doesn't get enough shine. You know, the Washington Post did a fabulous piece, basically giving you all the receipts you need to show how funny money not only Demora Smith is, but his minions that he's had running around negotiating all these contracts on behalf of players. Anti-union lawyers negotiating union contracts. What? (laughs) But anyway, because it's football and people just want to see football and it's only 16, well now what, 17 Sundays a year. They don't care. Just give me my football, yada, yada, yada. All right, bro. All right. But at what cost? At what cost, man? A hundred billion dollar plus TV deal. Every team is worth damn near a billy. And your players get hurt at home preparing for work and they can't get paid. What? I don't understand it. You know, it's it's if this doesn't get the Players Association outside of DeMora Smith and his anti-union lawyer minions, if this doesn't galvanize the workforce to say enough is enough, then I don't don't know what will. I don't know what will. Use the fact that quarterbacks are finally trying to assert their power. Piggyback off of that. That was kind of the problem years ago. You know, you heard, if you listen to the the Brandon Marshall I'm athlete thing, he calls out Drew Brees because he said basically the the league paid him to cross the line, to cross the picket line. And that's always been a constant throughout NFL strikes is that QBs were put in such a tier above the others that they would never really join their ranking foul employees in solidarity. This might be that chance. When you have a Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure you've seen Patrick Mahomes speak out on Twitter about this Juwan James situation. This might be the time where you can galvanize the workforce. But it's football. It's 53 dudes per roster plus practice squad. I don't, you know, the numbers don't work out well. That's a lot of people that have to walk out. That's a lot of people that have to forego checks. In MLB, it's only 20 plus. NBA, 15, 16 plus. NFL, 53 plus. That's a lot of dudes that have to agree to walk out. It's a lot. Uh, It's a lot. And plus, when you talk about the culture, the religion that's tied into football, 
It's a lot. It's a lot to get all these dudes on one page, on one accord. So while I think it's time and they might even have the leverage because now quarterbacks are trying to move in the same way in terms of wanting to get player empowerment. I still don't know if they can get past the brainwashing of the religion that is football. Is Russell Westbrook, who I affectionately call Russie, the second greatest point guard of all time? That was what was thrown into the ether (laughs) by his coach. Now in his uh, second stop, Scott Brooks. Scott Brooks lobbed that out there. He put that into the to the atmosphere. He spit that ether, the shit that make his soul burn slow. And it actually got some traction. Now, of course, he's shilling for his guy, right? Like Scott Brooks, I mean, he can put his whole career on the fact that he had Russie, the beard, and Durant, and only made one finals. And then he had Russie and Durant, and they didn't make any finals. They made to a Western Conference Finals. They blew a 3-1 lead to the Dubs, and that was it. So Scott Brooks has seen a lot of the good and the bad with Russie. And Russie's numbers are crazy. Like, there's just a bunch of stats floating around with Russie in this year he's had and just the totality of his career. That will make you think, if you're just going off numbers, you might have to look at whether he's in that. I don't know if he's top two. He's definitely not the second greatest point guard of all time. But in the pantheon of point guards overall, I mean, you might have thought he's not even top 10 if you just go off his shooting numbers. But if you go off everything else, I mean, how is Russie not a top 10 point guard of all time? When I tell you that he's already, already in his career, four triple doubles short of what Big O put up his entire career. Four triple doubles short of what Big O, the king of the triple double, put up his entire career. Now, there's narratives floating around that triple doubles aren't as efficient, aren't as a me- aren't as big of a measure in terms of how good you are, and that's just the analytics nerds just trying to find a way to tear down Russie. It's just they will always find. They don't have to go that far. Just go to how he can't shoot. That's all you have to go to. For me, that's all it is. Like just go to how Westbrook can't shoot. And his propensity to keep taking jump shots, even though he's not a jump shooter. That's it. You want to tear down his game? It's that right there. You don't have to go too deep into these numbers. You don't have to now say triple doubles are watered down now. You don't have to go through all of that. Just go to, yo, bruh, he shoots 31% from three and only slightly better from the free throw line out. (laughs) But yet and still the bulk of his shots come from those areas. That's it. Stop right there. Drop the mic. It's over. I rest my case, your honor. That's what you could do to tear down Russie. But the fact that that we're now saying, oh, well, triple doubles aren't as valuable. Oh, but when Braun does it, though, or, or, or when Luca does it, though, we're hyping the shit up. 
or or Knicks tape. When Julius does it, though, he's the MVP. We're having pep rallies outside the Mecca. But when Russi is four away from passing the big O for career triple doubles, well, you know, the metrics say that, you know, triple doubles aren't really as valuable. Dog, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. Leave Russi alone. I don't get it. What is wrong with these nerds that just, are they mad? Are they all Utah Jazz fans? Is, is, is that what it is? Are they are they just pro Sam Presti? That they ride with whatever. So since Presti gave up, finally gave up Russie. That now they can slander Russie because, you know, their Lord and Savior Sam Presti finally let him go. I don't understand the whole analytic perspective of constantly tearing down Russie. But here's some numbers. Since the beginning of April, so a little bit over a month, Russie's assist for the Wizards, who are now in playoff contention, by the way. They're in the play-in as of right now. This was a team that was at the bottom of the conference with the Pistons, chilling, marinating at the bottom. Yeah, they had injuries, but now that they had Bradley Beal and Russie together and healthy together, more importantly, they have clawed their way into the play-in. And a lot of it has to do with Russie as well with Bradley Beal and also Rui. Rui's out here cooking. And the guy Daniel Gafford, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So Russie's assists have led to 32 points a game towards the team. 32 points a game. And this is where when you talk about you know, Scott Brooks saying, is he the, he's the second greatest point guard of all time, only behind Magic Johnson. That's where you can actually look upon the merit of such a, what seemed to be a, such an audacious statement, right? 32 points a game off your passes? Bruh, you know how insane that is? You know how high of a mark that is? Russie's ability to assist the basketball. Is he a traditional facilitating point guard? No. Is he the John Stockton type point guard where he just will dissect you left and right with pick and rolls? No. Is he the Steve Nash type facilitating point guard that will wine you and dine you with all these array of passing angles impossible passing lanes that creates opportunities for others. No. Is he, you know, who else is that? Is he the Mark Jackson type facilitating point guard where he just dumbs it down to the simplest common denominator and will just keep milking the same play over and over and over until you stop it and tally up all the assists in the world, forcing your hand. No. However, Russie's a little bit of all of that. That's the funny shit. He takes a little bit of all of that, but in his essence, he's not any of that. If you follow me. His ability to set people up. He's made people look good. Have you seen Steven Adams with the Pels? Does he look like he's missing Russie? 
Have you seen Daniel Gafford with the Wizards? Did you have a chance to see him with the Bulls? The little run he got there? He didn't look like this. But now he's with Russie. He's catching alleys off the bounce. He's rim running crazy. He's looking like Tyson Chandler reincarnated. Because he has Russie. Russie does the thing that as a point guard you're supposed to do. Make your teammates better. And that's been the underrated part of his game. As great as KD was when they were side by side, we focused so much on how great of a score Kevin Durant was that we kind of ignored the fact that he was set up a lot by what Russie was able to do, what he was able to create. And yes, we can always tear down his shooting. We can always do that. We can always do that. I will never not tear down Russie's shooting ability because the numbers are too stark. There was a stat I saw the other day. He's top 15. Let me pull this up here. Hang on. I said, holy shit. He's top 15 in the league in taking the most jump shots. And Russie can't shoot. <laughs> so it's the ego that he's going to keep pulling. He doesn't give a fuck. He gonna keep pulling. But he can't shoot. So we focus on that and ignore everything else. Does he assist Hunt at times? Yes. Does he rebound Hunt at times? Yes. Does he triple-double Hunt at times? Yes. Because those numbers mean something to us. It's the reason why Scott Brooks can say with a chest, with his chest up and open that he's the second greatest point guard of all time. Because when you look at the triple-double numbers, when you look at the assist numbers, when you look at the averages, when you look at now the fact that the Wizards are coming from the depths, from the brink of death, to now potentially be in the play-in, yeah, bruh, you got to give Russi his flowers. It's, it's, I've tried to on this pod. You know, it's, it's, Every time he goes into Utah, I'm Team Russie. I know how Utah is, is, is going to give it up, but I'm Team Russie. But here, here's another stat, and this ties in with Gafford a little bit. Russell Westbrook has 139 triple-doubles the last five seasons. The Chicago Bulls, as a team, have 138 wins the last five seasons. <laughs> but the nerds will tell you, triple-doubles don't matter. They, they, they're, they're a flawed, uh, old, too old-school style a metric. Sure, sure. He has more triple-doubles than the Bulls have wins as a franchise over the last five years. Come on, son. Give Russie his flowers. It's long overdue. LaMelo back. LaMelo back. And he's out there doing LaMelo things. So does this lock up rookie of the year? Just the fact that he was able to come back before the end of the season. And let me see. Is Charlotte still in the mix for the playoffs? Should be. I know they were six the last pod. Let's see. Oh, they're eight. Oof. Damn. Did they rush LaMelo back because of that? Did MJ, MJ put the pressure to make sure that wrist was all right? <laughs> <laughs> they were four when he left. 
they're eight now that he's coming back. If that's not a testament to the impact that he has on that team, then I don't know what. I don't know what. But Ant-Man went crazy. He went crazy last night. He put up a 40-piece. Yeah, like eight threes? Eight of nine from three. Clearly a career high. And clearly the most efficient he's ever been. But that rookie of the year race will be interesting. And when you see the impact LaMelo has, it made me go to check in on Lonzo. And Zion said a thing about Lonzo to kind of prop him up and pump him up. And people are now paying attention to Lonzo. And while if you want to use his draft status or his draft number against him, I mean, I guess that that's an argument. But in the sense of what type of player he is and his impact on the court is very similar to what you're seeing in LaMelo. LaMelo was always going to be the best of the ball brothers, right? The father said it. Everyone said it. Once you saw him play, it was like, oh, yeah, he's the one. But because Lonzo came in the league first, there was more pressure on him because he was the first one up. So Lonzo is shooting the ball better. He is still playing point guard at a really strong level. I won't say elite. He's playing the the point guard position at a really strong level. He has a good relationship relationship with Zion, which is important if you want to be anything in New Orleans. And again, he's a restricted free agent. We'll see if he's able to skate. We'll see if they're, they're able to figure something out. I don't know if the Pels feel that highly on him. They did go draft Kira Lewis last year. So, you know, he could be the point guard in waiting as Lonzo finish out his tenure. But again, in that Anthony Davis trade, if they let Lonzo go, yeah, they re-up Young Reaper. Is Young Reaper the crown jewel of that trade? Because Josh Hart's just a piece. Lonzo is at least a starter. But if he leaves, you're just left with Young Reaper. And I guess Zion, but I mean, the league kind of hand gift, well, that's not. Um, so you're just left with Young Reaper. Young Reaper and Zion for Anthony Davis. I don't know if that's a... <laughs> I mean, look, man, y'all know how I feel about Zion. And y'all know how much I love Young Reaper. That ain't Anthony Davis, bro. That ain't fair value. Anywho, so Lonzo's cooking. And there's going to become... It's going to come to a head this offseason. Is there a team with cap space that believes in what they've seen in Lonzo, especially with the shooting? That's the important part. We know he's a good point guard. We know he could play defense. We know he could run a team. The key is, can he shoot? You can't really get it off like Russie. Russie seems to be the only point guard that's exempt from having to be able to shoot and still be productive. Look at the numbers Russie has to put up. I just ran down the triple-double numbers for you. Look at the numbers he has to put up to appease the fact that he can't shoot. This is where the league is going. If you want to contribute, if you want to be on the court, you have to be able to shoot. Even if it's from in close, like Zion's shooting percentage from the inside is crazy. Like he's like 60%. Like the bulk of his shots are are in the paint in the restricted area. 
like the bulk of his shots. Like he's not really shooting a lot of threes. He's not even shooting a lot of mid-range jumpers. Zion is in the paint, dog. He's on some young Shaq shit. So, but again, he's 6'6". How long can that last? But this is what we're talking about when it comes to like Lonzo. How long can you be a point guard in today's NBA, this modern NBA, and shooting isn't a strength? He's improved on it. This is by far the best looking his shot is, and the percentages bear that out. But can he maintain and even continue to ascend those numbers even higher at his next stop, if that's how that goes? That will be the question with Alonzo. But I have a bet with someone. I have a $100 bet that at some point in his career, Lonzo will make an all-star team. So I am fully invested in Lonzo getting better and hopefully that Western Conference losing some point guards at some point to where there might be an opening for Lonzo to creep in there, even if he's an injury replacement. I just need the man to be named an all-star and in some kind of way. By hook or by crook, get up on that team, bro, so I can get that Benji. We'll stay in the Western Conference. So you heard LeBron, right? So everyone's making making fun of LeBron because of the comments he made about he's not a fan of the play-in. He's not a fan of the uh, the system as a whole. And they're pulling up clips from last year. He was pro uh, playing when he was comfortably the number one seed in the Western Conference. So while that's cool, and that's a stance right now, let me just look it up. The Lakers are the sixth seed. They are a game up. Oh, no, half a game. They're half a game up on the Blazers for the sixth seed. So, yeah, Lake Show, and they just came off a three-game losing streak, and they won the other night. LeBron is finally back to playing. Uh, but it's, it's been a rough go of it for the Lake Show as they try to get in rhythm. They're trying to find minutes for Mark Gasol. Andre Drummond, defensive acumen, doesn't seem to be on par with that of uh, Marcus Saul. So they're trying to find a way to stagger those two minutes to find a way to maximize what Drummond brings and what Gasol brings. So they're trying to figure that out. So there's a lot of moving pieces pieces for Frank Vogel. But LeBron said the thing about, you know, doesn't like the play-in thing. And they found those comments from last year to ride him. Um, what happened to Mark Cuban? I, said, I, I called that out. A couple of pods ago, at the end of the pod, I said, yo, Mark Cuban, you bugging. And he was mad. And you could find very similar quotes to what LeBron said last year about being pro, playing, it's great, it's exciting, whatever the case may be. You could find those same quotes from Mark Cuban. But that type of energy wasn't kept online. That type of energy wasn't kept on social media. It's just funny to me, man. Oh, and uh, M- Michael Porter Jr., I see you. Michael Porter Jr. likes killing the Clippers. You catch that? He has a personal vendetta against the Clippers. You want to know why? It's because during the whole draft process, the Clippers team doctor told Michael Porter Jr. that he'll probably never play basketball again. Now, here's my thing, right? So, Michael Porter Jr. was coming off a bad back injury. Backs are very tough to diagnose. Back injuries are just tough to live through. Trust that someone has thrown out his back doing track in high school. I still sometimes feel 
not all the way set and have to do special stretches to make sure my shit is right, even to this day. Uh, but dealing with a back injury, it's tough to diagnose, it's tough to rehab, it's tough to figure out what will actually work. Teams don't like players with back injuries because they're difficult. So am I shocked that a team doctor told Michael Porter Jr. that he probably won't play basketball again? No, no. What I find hilarious, though, is that they would tell Michael Porter Jr. that about his bad back. But again, still, they keep passing Kawhi and these team physicals when we all know. <laughs> when we all know his knee is jammed up. That knee is degenerative. I've been saying that here for about a couple of years now. I've been, I was hinting at it for a few years, but I've since gotten some real strong I won't say confirmation, but some real strong like word dog. You, 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 you right there. We, we, we on the same page type shit from people who will, who would know. So yeah, bro, that knee is degenerative. So that same team doctor could pass Kawhi and his fucked up knees. But when it comes to Michael Porter Jr. and his bad back, oh no, 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 no. We, we, we can't draft you. We can't draft you. No, no, no. Oh, but Balmer's dropping two billion to buy the team. Oh, and he needs a, a franchise superstar. He needs a landmark linchpin player to signal the change of the regime. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kawhi's knees, oh, they're great. They're great. So he, he's got bungees. He can, he can touch the top of the backboard. He's good. He's all good. Those knees are great. We still have to load manage him. He can still only play about 65% of all the games. But, you know, his knees are great. The Michael Porter Jr., though, who went through the tough shit already of having the back surgery, no, 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 no. You're never going to play basketball again. Business, man. All business. couple quick things before I get up out of here. Uh, soccer and cricket. Soccer and cricket. The two most popular sports in the world. Soccer and cricket. Doing some things. Shutting down games. For very different reasons. There was a Man U Liverpool game shut down. Fans stormed the arena. Tore shit up. They want ownership the fuck up out of there. They want the Glazers about the paint. And in cricket, India is having a hard time dealing with COVID. And they're still trying to play these cricket games. And they finally had to shut it down because so many players and so many fans were contracting COVID. They had to shut it down. And I know we want to go back to being outside. I know we want to go back to just acting like, you know, we're over the pandemic. People are vaccined out. I just, I, I don't know if it's safe. I just don't think it's safe. You know, when you see a whole league shut down, and yes, you can make comments about India's infrastructure is not as good as ours, and they don't have ready, ready-made vaccines like we do or access to it like we do, yada, 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 but they have full capacity. And not everyone's taking this vaccine. I don't know if I will put myself at risk to go to a sporting event, especially if there's no mandate in terms of you got to be fully vaxxed to pull up. But that soccer story, though, dog, they, they are with the shits. Europe is really trying to hang on to the mental illness that is fandom. They are really trying to hang on to that mental illness. They do not want to give up fandom. They don't want to accept the fact that 
sport is a business. And whether it's American owners or fucking Abu Dhabi owners, royal families, it don't matter. Their sport is being treated like a business. I mean, shit, every fucking few years, they got different sponsors on the kits. You know, it's a lot of talk of how a lot of these teams, and we'll focus more on the EPL, the English Premier League, how a lot of these teams are in, you know, uh, blue-collar towns and this, that, and the third, and they were, you know, small-owned initially. But all that shit's changed, bruh. All those teams are bought by billionaires or billion-dollar corporations or billion-dollar royal families. They've been whored out with ads on their jerseys for decades. Yet and still, these fans are hanging on to the storybook notion of, you know, we're Man City. We're United. We're Tottenham. We're Liverpool. We're we're this blue-collar. There's been nothing blue-collar about these fucking teams for decades. But I will say this, I give these, I give the Europe soccer fans props and the English fans specifically props for trying to hang on. They are fighting tooth and nail. They are willing to lay their lines, their lives on the line for the sake to continue to believe in the mental illness that is fandom. Would American fans do that? Would Cowboy fans storm Jerry's world for him not to make it such a business? Could Yankee fans storm the Bronx to slow down the obvious capitalism that surrounds that team and that franchise? I can't see it. So the Europe shit you have to pay attention to. The the English stuff with the soccer, pay attention to that. The cricket thing, the pandemic is still going on in other parts of the world. Places are trying to move on, but COVID just keeps coming back. It's it's very weird out here. It's a very weird time in sports. It's a very weird time as content companies keep coming in and throwing millions all over the place to buy content that surrounds sports. DraftKings and FanDuel both jumping in with both feet, throwing M's all over the place. You still have to be wary of what sports is going through. And I don't know if this pandemic is over. People certainly want to act like it's over. But if India's still got it rough, you can make cases about they could be third world to a certain degree. That's billions of people, though, bro. And they're 100% capacity. And there's talk of American sports being 100% capacity very soon. And not everyone is vaccinated. So good luck with that. I'm playing the crib until further notice. You know what it is. Appreciate y'all for listening. At the new crib, moved in, uh, checking out the new acoustics. So I'm going to be trying out different spots at the new crib to see which spot I'm more comfortable in. But I uh, hope you enjoyed this. Appreciate y'all always for listening. Uh, yeah, check out the trash narrative on Khalil Mack and the Bears. That's in the podcast description, uh, as well as a YouTube link just to subscribe to the channel. It's also there in the podcast description. Uh, the bonus content will be my conversation, uh, in-depth conversation about Aaron Rodgers and all the stuff with the Packers with Greg Laundered on his show on 105.1 The Zone, ESPN Radio. So check for that. But as always, appreciate y'all, man. Keep supporting, keep spreading it. Five stars, nothing less. Tell a friend. You know how we do it. For the Sam D Podcast. 
I'm the Sam B. I'm out.